0: Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every relationship that you're a part of is messed up by sin. It's not news to you, I'm sure. Sooner or later, you're going to do something that hurts the other person, or that person is going to do something that hurts you. And the closer your relationship, the easier it seems to be to harm each other. So sooner or later, you will need to be forgiven, and you will need to forgive. And you probably need both already because of something you said or did or didn't do this morning. You've probably heard the saying, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And the message is that holding bitterness towards someone else doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts you. So you should forgive them for your own sake. Well, in our text today, we'll see that Jesus has a much greater reason for us to forgive. And he holds us to a much higher standard of forgiveness. We might rename this a story about two debtors. And before we go further, I'd like to look at their two debts. Because whether you're reading from the ESV, like me, or the King James Bible, or you're reading a paraphrase, these numbers don't hit us the way that they would have hit Jesus' disciples when he first said them. 10,000 talents. Some enterprising scholars have taken the time to work out the exchange rates in 2,000 years' worth of inflation, and they put the current value of that somewhere in several billion dollars, and that's billion with a B, which is a large amount of money to everybody except maybe the Treasury Department. But Jesus isn't talking about literal sums of money here. The talent was the largest denomination of currency at that time, so it would be like talking about $100 bills, except much, much bigger. And in the language of the gospel, according to Matthew, is written in, 10,000 is the highest countable number. It's the biggest number anybody would talk about. And we even get the word myriad directly from that word. So for comparison, 10,000 talents at that time, the tax revenue that the Romans got every year from the provinces of Edom, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, all four of them, was only 900 talents. And when the Romans struck down the Jewish revolt about 40 years later, then they exacted revenge by taking 10,000 talents from the entire nation. All of Israel, all the wealth, all the gold in the temple and all the wealth of Herod's palaces and everything was 10,000 talents. There wasn't more money in the land. It's not just a lot of money Jesus is talking about. It's all the money you could ever think of. It's all the gold in Fort Knox. It's a king's ransom. It's $26 trillion of debt. If you've not seen the movie National Treasure, I'm going to spoil it for you. But it's your fault because it's 16 years old. So, But for the 98% of you that have seen it, if you'll remember, there's the scene at the end of the movie. Nicolas Cage and friends are all in the bottom of this deep, dark pit. And uh, you know all hope is lost till they find a secret passageway into the treasure room. You know, this is a little room. There's golden sarcophaguses, and there's coins, and there's necklaces, and jewelry, and all kinds of stuff. And then they light the oil and it lights up and it goes on and on and on and it goes on for miles, it seems. All of treasure. It's treasure from Egypt and Rome and the Vikings and Solomon's temple. It's an unthinkable sum of money. Now, in contrast, the second servant owed 100 denarii. And a denarii or denarius, it's about one day's wages for a hired worker. So in today's terms, it's about a little over three months of minimum wage, somewhere, you know, five, dollars $6,000. So in other words, the first servant was released from a debt of billions of dollars, but he couldn't spare the five grand that the second servant owed him. Jesus is saying that this servant was forgiven an impossible amount. There's no way he would ever pay it back. The king's mercy to him was unbelievable, but it did not affect him at all. He was not shocked at such grace. Like a stone at the bottom of a lake, he was surrounded by a flood of inconceivable mercy, but inside that stone was still dry. If you took a rock up out of the bottom of the ocean, and cracked it open, it would still be dry. You couldn't squeeze a drop out of it, because nothing soaked in. And it's the same with this servant. Mercy poured on him like Noah's flood, but he couldn't find one drop of mercy for anyone else. And we would really like to cheer when someone like this gets what he deserves. You know, his master throws him in prison, and he hands him over to the torturers. And we think, yes, he deserved that. He was so ungrateful for the goodness that he was given. And if Jesus had stopped, not said verse thirty five, we could we could believe that. We could sit here in smug satisfaction and think yeah, I've forgiven people quite a lot, and they they don't come back around with forgiveness. How terrible of them. You know, we could put ourselves in the place of the king or the servant oh, I don't really have that much, you know, I don't really need that much forgiveness from anybody. Or, can you believe how much I've forgiven him or her? But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he tells this. And make no mistake, he's not talking to the crowds. He's in this house with his disciples telling them this. He tells us just where we are in this parable. He is in verse 35, he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We are the ones who need to hear this. We are the ones who don't know how to forgive. And we're the ones who don't understand how much mercy we've truly been given. Jesus is saying we're the dry, dead stone at the bottom of the river of life. And it's a hard saying of Jesus. And as with so many hard sayings of Jesus, everybody wants to kind of massage it a little bit so it's a little easier to hear. You want to make Jesus a little easier to swallow. He's sometimes kind of difficult, not very PR friendly. Well, there are at least four ways that this has been done. You know, four ways people have gotten this message completely wrong. And I don't want to. Into that trap. I don't want any of us to fall into these foolish traps. So we're going to look at each wrong interpretation and then show why they're wrong. So the first one some say that Jesus is just exaggerating, he doesn't really mean what he's saying. It's all hyperbole. God wouldn't actually do something like this, he wouldn't actually punish someone for not being forgiving. And this is just the way that kids argue. You know, Mom says she's going off to the store, and those dishes better be done by the time I get back. And the kids continue their reading or their playing or they're watching TV. Mom comes through the door and sputters, Why aren't the dishes done? And all the children reply, What, did you mean us? Did you want us to do them? Secondly, some say that Jesus is talking about the way things were under the old covenant. But those of us in the New Covenant don't have to worry about it. It mattered to someone else, but we don't need to worry about it. And again, this is how children think and argue. Sometimes. Mom tells one child very specifically, in no uncertain terms, there will be no climbing on the furniture. And so the second child, who definitely was in earshot, heard that decides to do a double backflip off of the coffee table. And when he's scolded, he says, what? I thought you just meant he couldn't do it. Third, something Jesus is giving the entire message of the gospel in full in this one parable. You know, he's saying, forgiven, you'll be forgiven, and that's all there is to it. But this live and let live, don't bother God, and he won't bother you, that's very popular in our day, isn't what he's saying. It seems like the only moral question anyone has left is, does it hurt somebody else? No. Okay, well then do what makes you happy. People who hold to this third option say things like, the God I worship wouldn't judge someone for that. And they're absolutely right. Because the God they worship does not exist. But the God who is in the heavens is righteous. And fourth, some think that Jesus is here preaching salvation either earned or kept by good works. Now Some read this and think, oh, what it means is I need to earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Maybe somebody who knows a little more than that says, well, God grants salvation by grace completely freely, but once I'm in, I've got to stay in. I need to prove my worthiness. I need to forgive people. It's like thinking, well, I got this new car for free, but now I've got to pay for the oil changes. And all four of these interpretations fail because none of them understand how a parable functions. The kingdom of heaven is like, we've heard that throughout the parables, the kingdom of heaven is like. Husbands, if you said to your wife that she was like a beautiful rose, you probably meant it as a compliment. I really don't imagine you meant that she was thorny, lives in the dirt, and attracts flies. But that is true of roses, and you called your wife a rose, so what's going on here? What you're talking about, you're comparing the beauty of the rose to the beauty of your wife. That's what's going on. We all know this. We don't get confused by that. Let's not get confused by Jesus' parable. Parables work by comparing certain aspects of different things. Not all aspects are compared. And the context is what determines what aspects do get compared. So the context here is, Peter just asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And this parable is part of Jesus' answer. And the rabbis before him had given their answer. They'd said things like, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. And if a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. And if he commits an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him if the fourth time, they do not forgive. So Peter probably thought he was being very generous at seven. That's more than double what everybody else thought. But Jesus showed us and showed them that the moment you start keeping track of how much you've forgiven someone, you're already forgiving too little. He's pulling us down off our high horses where we think that we're entitled to holding those grudges and that bitterness. They owe me. Look at what they did. In this parable, Jesus sets us before God and shows us who the real debtor is. And verse 35 is a warning. It's Jesus shouting, Wake up! You can't enjoy my Father's immeasurable forgiveness and not be changed. Is my blood so small a price that you would rather hold on to your bitterness? But what do we do when it's hard to forgive? Because it is. Because there's sin in the world. Because there's real evil in the world. You know, what's, what can help us? Well, I have four thoughts to help us learn to forgive. First, Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation means the whole relationship is all better. Everything is fixed. And that's great, but that's not what Jesus is saying right here. That's the goal, but our responsibility is the forgiveness. Because forgiveness is a one-sided act from your heart that refuses to hold a grudge or harbor any bitterness against another person. It doesn't mean excusing someone for their sin. And it doesn't mean living as if nobody ever did anything wrong. And in fact, it means blaming someone. In order to forgive someone, you have to acknowledge that they sinned. It says, You sinned against me and you hurt me, but I will accept that into myself instead of requiring payback from you. Second help to us is pray for the person, it's really hard to keep bitterness in your heart against somebody when you're praying for them, when you're bringing them before God and asking God to bless them and help them. Third, the context helps us, and Jesus helps us here. If you look at the beginning of chapter 18, the beginning of kind of this discourse, it reads, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now I could spend all kinds of time on that text as well, but suffice it to say that throughout this whole discourse, there's a little child by Jesus' side. And so when he says this parable, you've got to remember there's a, there's a child there that is a helpful metaphor in a way. Because isn't it easy to forgive a child their sins? You know they're weak and foolish, and there is even something lovable in a child that their very weakness can cause you to love them more, care for them more, forgive them more. we like to judge ourselves by our best intentions and others by their worst actions. But when you think about that person who sinned against you, remember that they too are weak, and they too need Jesus to call them to his side. And finally, something that I found helpful this week, putting into practice, is to meditate on the vast mercy that you've received. Because if you see that you have been given an ocean of grace, it will not be difficult to hand out a thimble of it to everybody else. But how do you grow in that knowledge of the mercy you've been given? One way I think is helpful is to keep watch over yourself and take note every time you sin. And I don't mean to keep a tally book, because if I kept a tally book every time I sinned, I would fill it up in a week, in a day, In an hour. What I mean is, when you sin, call to mind how quickly God forgives you, even before you ask. I mean, can you believe that? (laughs) Really? Not after you've stopped sinning. Not after you've cleaned yourself up. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once you're presentable in your Sunday best, but while you were still a sinner, while you were still lying to save face or skimming off the top at work, or looking at pornography, or yelling at your kids, or angry with your spouse, or online shopping just for the thrill, while you're too lazy to open your Bible and read it, while you're too focused on this world that you can't even remember how to pray, while you're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. That's when Christ died for us. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to pour your own evil out back on your own heads. Instead, I will drink that cup for you. He's saying, You hurt me by your sin, but I'd rather bear that pain than give it back to you. Nobody who receives Jesus' love can bear to keep that to themselves. And the warning given to Peter is still in force for us today. There's grace in it. It's gracious. It's a warning, and it's gracious. So hear it as such, but definitely hear it, because we need to be woken up sometimes. And it's not always meek and mild, gentle Jesus that does the waking. But it is Jesus who does it so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let us pray.